contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. It's brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season is here, as you know. That's what we're talking about. Where can you make your online wagers for NFL and college? The best place is BetOnline.ag. You can go there, take full advantage of the best bonuses in the business. The promo code PODCAST1, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E, and you get a 50% sign-up bonus right when you sign up. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Now this week's edition of the Business of Sports is with Joe Banner, my old friend. He has run the Eagles for many years and was president of the Browns when they had a player named Josh Gordon. He'll talk about him from an inside look and what happened with Josh Gordon at the Browns. We know he's now a Patriot. Joe will get into all that. We talk about issues around the league, the Camille Mack situation, how the Raiders screwed that up. Talk about issues with Carson Wentz getting back into the NFL, how long you wait for those kind of things. Officiating league business all with Joe Banner, former president of the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns, and now the business of sports with Joe Banner. Joe, we'll get right into it. Uh, Josh Gordon was there when you were running the Cleveland Browns. Tell us what you can tell us about him, now released from the Browns, I'm sorry, traded to the Patriots, and uh, my reaction was the talent just is too much of a temptation for teams, even the Patriots, to turn down knowing all these issues. Are you surprised that Cleveland stayed with Josh Gordon this long and that the Patriots are now taking their chances with him? So I am surprised they stayed that long, although, as you state well, he is uh, an elite talent, and that gives people a lot more time and potential mistakes before people want to give up with them. But, you know, he came to them. People forget he came to them um, with a very challenging history. And now he's been in the league six years, and outside of the one year that I was there, which he played 14 games, has had serious, significant problems that have dramatically affected his ability to show his ability uh, since. So, I am surprised, not surprised the Browns gave him some time. I'm surprised they gave him as much time as they did. Uh, and I'm really surprised by the Patriots. I mean, I guess I was uh, naive. And I, I respect mm-hmm. the Patriots have a culture. They found certain players that have thrived in their system that haven't thrived other places. But I'm not revealing anything. Josh is now, uh, after a long time of denying it, been quite open about the fact that he has uh, substance abuse problems, both with uh, – drugs and alcohol and he's even gone through the list publicly i mean they're not just some people say oh, it's just weed everybody you know weed what's the big deal but he's now acknowledged publicly that his issues go well beyond weed so i have not seen the patriots um they've taken guys that are challenging guys that haven't thrived but at least i'm not aware of them taking a chance on a guy that has this long a history of problem that includes a significant drug abuse so i'm I am surprised on both ends of this. You mentioned the year you were, you were with him. He played 14 games, and I, I'm inferring by your answer that's that's the most he's played. Uh, what did you see talent-wise, and what were your, you know, in managing that situation? And I know you have to be uh, true to confidentiality about some of his issues, but from a from a management point of view, running the team. 
how did you manage it? So, you know, we, we did have the one year that we were there in which he succeeded in uh, playing, playing very well, uh, and frankly avoiding any positive tests, arrests, suspensions, any of the other things he's dealt with. Um, we did that, really. We hired a psychologist and a psychiatrist to work with the team, although truthfully there are only a couple of players they're working with. <clears throat> uh, Josh was one of them. Um, and, you know, we made it through the years, the way I want to say it. it. It may have appeared from the outside like everything was going fine and he was playing great. Um, and I do think he did a lot better in that year than he has in any other year in terms of you know, his behavior and his play. Um, but, you know, again, he's gone public with this. So I have a li- I'm certainly not going to talk about testing and all that kind of stuff, but I feel I have a little freedom. He's acknowledged he, you know, has very significant challenges in, in his off-field life. Uh, and uh, I have reason to question that he's conquered those problems. Talent-wise, it's mm-hmm. what everybody sees. When people talk about, you know, a healthy, clean, hardworking Josh Gordon would be the top three, five, seven, you pick the number, clearly in the very, very top group of wide receivers in the league. Uh, and in an unusual way, by the way, he's not a great route runner. Mm. Uh, he doesn't get himself open very well. But he's so big and strong and powerful, and when clear-headed and concentrating, phenomenal hands, catching the ball, you know, what they call 50-50 balls, you know, exceptional at that kind of stuff. Most of the guys that are really great receivers are good route runners, and some of them are also really big. Josh is not a great route runner, but he's unbelievably effective because he's just so strong. He can dominate anybody physically. You talked about psychologists, psychiatrists working with a few players, I guess primarily him. Did you know, I know there are people listening that do have addiction issues. Did you look at this as we we can't control this, we just have to manage it? Or we think we can exorcise these demons? So remember, I'm in the second year that Josh is in the league, so it's five years right. ago now. And at that point, we still had hope um, that we could not just manage him, but actually get him to a better place. And in the year that I was there, that was our goal. It wasn't just to keep him on the field. It was actually Mm. trying to work with him to make some life-changing changes and, um, you know, focuses and priorities and, frankly, even people he surrounded himself with and all the kind of classic stuff you hear about. Um, I think by now it's five years later. That's a real stretch to think that's going to happen. It's not hopeless, but I think the chances are a lot less that he could make that big a transformation than maybe it was uh, five years ago. And maybe we were even kidding ourselves five years ago, but our intent and what we brought people in to try to help with was really potentially life-changing uh, type of changes that he would make in his life that hopefully would have erased all the stuff that's happened since then. Yeah, and as I always say, greater talent, greater tolerance, even tolerance for that mm-hmm. level of talent ran out in Cleveland. When you saw John Dorsey's uh, statement, you know you know John as I do so well, on Saturday evening, I believe, uh, that, you know, their patients had run out, they're moving away from Josh. Did you see that as an invitation to teams to to make trade offers? Or did you see it as yes. they're releasing him? 
it's funny when I, I first saw it, I was actually on the phone with somebody who works for an NFL team. Mm. And my first reaction was, well, what are they announcing? They're waiting until Monday for, why don't they just <laughs> do it? Um, and it seemed like part of the motive there was to send the message to people there. You know, listen, we're, we're going to do our best. As you say, the more talent, the more patience, but at some point we've really just, we're trying to change the culture. So I, my first reaction was they were trying to really make that statement that I thought statements even more powerful. If you just say, that's it, we're done. You're out of here. <laughs> but fairly quickly I thought about it. And I said, wow, I wonder if they think that they can actually get some value for the guy. And I still thought that they no chance of getting anything other than a contingent pick. Mm-hmm. There is some contingency in the trade, but in any circumstance, they get a pick. Yeah. Um, so I, my initial reaction was, uh, you know, the opposite of what they did, and it turned out that what they did had merit. Um, I've talked to enough people that I still don't believe they had eight or ten teams call, but I do think they had three or four. Um, and, you know, they were able to, to make a deal and get a firm pick for a high risk. Now, listen, Josh couldn't go to many teams because, you know, I originally characterized this as kind of high-risk, high-return. And as you've seen, most teams, no matter how solid you are, there is some cultural risk to bringing a guy in that has these kind of problems and sending a message that you're willing to uh, kind of put up with this stuff. But the Patriots' culture is so solid and so strong the truth is, it probably has very minimal risk to them. Uh, whereas, even if things went well, whoever else had done this actually would have been going into it, in my mind, with high risk, high return. Mm-hmm. Patriots actually may be very low risk, high return, which probably puts them in a unique position to do it if they're willing to take the risk, which, again, is my viewing of them historically. This is a very unusual risk for them to take. It's different than just taking a troubled player or someone with a lot of talent that didn't succeed somewhere else. The nature of Josh's problems are, you know, much longer term and much deeper. And again, I'm just saying it that way because he's acknowledged that public himself. Um, then I think the general public is even recognizing at this point. I'm glad you said that too, because I see the narrative about, well, the Patriots, they've taken on uh, Corey Dillon and Albert Hainsworth yeah. and even yeah. Randy Moss, Randy Moss. And, and then and Chad Johnson. <laughs> this is a different kettle of fish it's isn't it totally 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 different and, and those guys listen those guys that uh, you're referencing there benefited greatly and definitely had more success and conformed to a system like they had in other places and the patriots deserve a lot of credit for that and frankly it gives them a competitive advantage to be able to take a chance here and there on guys like that that they have a coaching system and coaching staff and culture that can deal with it but that's those names you all just mentioned are very different nature. The nature of the problem, the history of the problem. Um, I mean, listen, you heard it, and it's been kind of alluded to, but I mean, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back the last morning in Cleveland, in addition to kind of his behavior, was he was late, and the key word is again. Mm. <laughs> Everything we know about somebody with a drug addiction problem is things like punctuality and responsible are fleeting. And everything we know about Bill Belichick and the Patriots is that, you know, the basic responsibility of being in the right place at the right time for the right meetings and knowing the plays is not something they're going to put up with for any period of time at all. So Josh is going to have to change very dramatically, very quickly, or this could be a very short-term situation. 
But as you said, it's a solid fifth. I mean, when I saw that come out, like you, like you thought, I said, all right, they can get a contingent seventh. But that mm-hmm. tells you there was competition. Somebody offered a seventh, somebody a sixth, maybe even higher than a fifth. But uh, it gets to a bidding situation, and they did get a solid pick. So if he flames out, it's not like that pick goes away, right? Right. Well, they, they get the Browns get that, as I understand the trade, the fifth pick no matter what. Yeah. If he does flame out, they get back a seventh pick, which reduces the value of the fifth slightly. But they, they, the benefit they get in the trade is either a pure fifth or a fifth offset slightly by uh, a seventh. And listen, as you know, you've done this as much as I have. Who knows what they had? They were able to create the perception right. that there was competition in other bidders. I know for sure there were other inquiries. Now, whether there were other bidders or not, or whether they were just successful in creating the perception or other bidders, nobody's probably ever going to tell us. But you can create the leverage just by creating the perception uh, that you're bidding against other people. And whether that's what happened here or not, we'll probably never know. But Yeah, I mean, it did seem a little choreographed. Obviously, we talked about why not just release them Saturday. Well, it came out after the waivers on Saturday, which ended 4 o'clock. And, you know, soon after that, we had all the national reporters saying there's a market, whether there was or not, as, right. uh, as you and I know. <clears throat> Evidently, it was enough to, to get it spurred for, uh, for Monday trade. Yeah. Well, we know there was a market. We don't know how many teams. We don't know what the other bidders bid, if anything. Right. But we know there was a market because he got traded. And, again, I myself can tell you I've spoken to other teams that have told me not a whole bunch. I don't think it's as many as was being reported, but there were other teams that told me that, in fact, they called the Browns and looked into it. I, frankly, I had a couple of people call me and ask me, you know, what I thought. And when people do that, I try not to give an opinion. I just describe what I know mm-hmm. and I let them make the decision. So I, I know there were other teams looking into it. I don't know if anybody else made a bid or what the Patriots were competing against, but you give credit to the Browns. They managed to, you know, get value uh, where Many thought there wasn't any. I mean, it's yeah. been reported, too. I mean, we had a trade for Josh in the year he was there um, that, you know, has been reported many times, which we had an offer for a second-round draft pick, plus a player, not a great player, but a contributing player. Um, and the reason we did that wasn't because we had given up hope on him getting on track. wasn't because we didn't realize how great he was. It was because I couldn't see a situation in which you could trust him for the long run. Hmm. You know, how do you, how do you build your team for the next year if you're not sure if he's going to still be there? Right. You know, how do you consider re-signing him if you're knowing at any moment uh, he could be in serious trouble and you have nothing to show for the investment you made? So we felt we wanted to convert it into something we could count on. And what uh, happened with Even trip? at that point, we were very worried about whether we would able, be able to count on uh, that long term. And what happened with that proposed trade? Well, we had some people in the building without naming any names who <laughs> just were uh, consumed by the talent and the possibility mm-hmm. uh, and decided that uh, not making a trade was the better decision at the time. <laughs> yeah, that talent temptation is something in the NFL. I guess all... Well, on both ends, because he, he had a long history and, and we received that offer. I think people know it's from the 49ers and when Jim Harbaugh was still there and they were competing for what they thought was a reasonable chance to win a Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, so the, the possibility of getting somebody even short term that could make that kind of a difference uh, was appealing to them. But 
the meantime, they went through five years of challenges and difficulties and no real playing time and got a fifth pick instead of a second pick. This is great stuff with Joe Banner, but I want to take a minute to talk about the best home security system I know of, and that's Simply Safe. It's really ready for anything you throw at it. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe will take care of that. If you destroy your keypad, Simply Safe will get you the help you need. Maybe it's overkilled, but the home security is so great, it's always ready. It doesn't cost an arm and a leg. 24-7 professional security monitoring, just $14.99 a month, no contracts, no hidden fees. I recommend this product to everyone I know. It's Simply Safe Home Security. So go to simplysafe.com slash brant. My name, all caps, B-R-A-N-D-T. That's simplysafe.com slash brant. Protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash brant. Now back to Joe Banner in the business of sports. I want to go around the league a little bit, as you and I do, as these regular visits to the podcast on the business of the NFL, which is the busiest time to me, is right before the season starts. We saw some major activity. You know, you were very vocal on Twitter about uh, the Khalil Mack trade. I got to admit, I didn't think it would happen. I thought the Raiders would wait him out and he'd show up because there'd never be a, a trade with a mega contract combined for what they were wanting. And boy, was I wrong. So, so they, they got the two number ones, and uh, Chicago went all in, not only on the number ones, but on the contract. How, how did you see that, and is there any defense in your mind for the way the Ra- Raiders handled that? Well, the second part is easy. I think the Raiders just made a terrible mistake. They didn't have to give up the two ones. All they had to do was agree to a contract. If you take the... 18, 19, to $20 million defensive linemen that have signed over the last three or four years and just updated a bit for the increase in the cap. The contract came out about where it should have been. I mean, it should have been a $22, $23 million deal for Donald, for Mac, for the, you know, top, top couple of, you know, these are defensive player of the year type of players. Um, So for me, the Raiders made a huge mistake. They were smart to pick them. They hit a grand slam on the pick, and they should have found a way to get the deal done, even if they had to overpay him a little bit. I mean, I don't know what they thought. You know, Vaughn Miller had received 19 plus, just a little over 19 million uh, three years ago. The cap had gone up 35 million dollars since his deal, almost 20 percent. Mm-hmm. So if you just add 20 percent to the 19 million, all you're doing is give him the same value based on the higher cap number. It comes out between 22 and 23. So. I really can't understand what the Raiders' thinking was. Apparently, there were negotiations way back in February, and then no con- no conversations after that. I don't understand that either. I mean, you got that kind of a play. I'm sure you did. You have kind of an ongoing dialogue. You're trying to keep things mm-hmm. in a positive place. Um, not always easy to do, not always successful, but that's what you're working at. They go six months without talking. I don't get it. Um, I think that the Bears getting back a second-round pick is a huge piece of justifying the value to me Um, and and here's how I look at it Um, research tells you that even if you're a Hall of Fame general manager you're only hitting at about 50% of your first round picks so you give up two first round picks you probably gave up one quality player Mm -hmm. the chances that you got one quality player is anywhere near as good as Mac or close to zero now as you and I both know there's also the benefit of the difference in the contract Financial, giving up right. that potential cap room as well. 
And there's where getting the second round pick back to me kind of makes it worth giving up the two ones, which probably translates into giving up one very good player, but not as good as Mac and using up a whole bunch of extra cap room versus those draft picks. But now you're getting a second round draft pick back that has a 40% chance of producing a solid starter versus a 50% chance in the first round. So when I first heard the two ones plus some other picks, I was like, okay, maybe I would have done that, but that's pretty aggressive. When I actually heard the detail that they got the second round pick back, I thought, you know what, I would have done this in a second. So for me, that tipped the scales from a really tough decision into something that I felt confident. I've been in the same position and had a chance to make the same deal. I would have done it if I were Chicago. The only thing I question for Chicago is they're not a ready-made team, right? They have a young quarterback, young team. And I don't know. I mean, it seems like he's the kind of player you acquire to be that missing piece with a contending team. The Bears are better. Don't get me wrong. But they're not contending with the Vikings and Packers. So here's the only thing I would say. And this gets caught up in the media sometimes and and fans too. I think they're making a deal for the next five to six years. Mm -hmm. And if they're right about Trubisky, which is a big question mark, and personally I have some doubts about that, but they obviously believe in Trubisky. By the time Trubisky's like in his third and fourth year in the league, when if they're right about him, he should really be becoming a difference-making quarterback. He's the second pick in the draft. I mean, Mariota's the second pick in the draft. Once is the, those are the type mm-hmm. of quarterbacks you should be getting if you're picking with the second pick of the draft, a quarterback. So by the second or third year Mac is there, which is the third or fourth year that Trubisky has been in the league, you have a quality defense with an elite, I think, Hall of Fame, potential defensive player of the year defense, combined with a reasonably talented offense, and what should be an emerging star quarterback. Now, if you missed on the quarterback, no matter what else you do, you're going to be mediocre at best. Right. So that's the, the, uh, the, the bet that they've made. And listen, if they end up wrong about Trubisky, there's still going to be a group of the Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor type of people out there that you know are better than some of the quarterbacks who have won with phenomenal defenses and just pretty good offenses. Mm-hmm. So, again, time will tell, but that's how I would have rationalized it in my head. If I got the quarterback wrong, I'm in deep trouble no matter what. And if I got the quarterback right, in two or three years, this could be the guy that makes me an elite team versus a good team. That's how I would have been thinking about it. Yeah, I looked at spending, too. Obviously, we know this. Having a quarterback on a rookie deal, even at the top of the draft, $6, 7000000 million a year average, is such a bargain allows you to allocate resources so many. They are spending, the Bears, $76 million this year on three players, not quarterbacks. Allen Robinson, Kendall Fuller, and Mack. You just can't do that. If you're paying a quarterback $25 million, you just can't do that. That would be over $100 million. Uh, right. So it's interesting how they, they had a huge spending on three or four players. I'm not even talking about the tight end, Burton, too. So uh, right. interesting strategy. And and what they need to do is by the time they get to this, you know, two or three years into max time in Chicago, they won't be able to have all three of those guys. Or if they do, they've got like a year left. So what they need yeah. to do is, whether it's through uh, 
primarily the draft is the main way they can solve this problem. They've got to be finding guys that can step into those roles that are going to be less expensive. Yeah. Now, we're talking about once they have to, assuming Trubisky is good and once they have to start to pay. If Trubisky isn't good or they have an inexpensive quarterback solution, whether it's a draft or let's just say a Bridgewater type of person, they can actually perpetuate this for a fairly long time. I mean, look at the Eagles. They just won the Super Bowl. It's not like they don't have any expensive players. Right. But because the quarterback is so inexpensive, as you say, they can distribute that money through the rest of the roster for the time being and, you know, really create an advantage. So this is a timing question. And by the time they get to the point where they need to pay Trubisky, they won't be able to have three guys making $70, $80 million, not even including the quarterback. Right. Quickly on the Eagles, you mentioned them. You and I aren't doctors, but team you ran here for so many years, the Eagles, has just made the move to Wentz. Surprised by it, too early, too late, give them more time. Obviously, they had the Super Bowl MVP playing on, you know, taking that position. But I just, just your thoughts on the timing moving there in week three. See, my only answer is a philosophical one because we don't know the – yeah, true status and what the doctors are saying. And as you know, there's some of these decisions you literally just defer to the doctor. Yeah. But I do think the right answer was be very careful on the conservative side and no need to rush probably a quarterback for the next 10, maybe even 14, 15 years. He's 23 years old, 24 years old. So error on the side of missing some games. It probably mm-hmm. doesn't affect you this year in a negative way. So what if you got off to a one and two or two and two start? You're still probably going to make the playoffs. You're still probably going to win the division. You still even have a chance of having a bye and a home field advantage. But don't do anything that takes a risk over the next you know, 10 or 12 years you're expecting them to play for you. And my sense is they think that's what they've done. Now, we'll get on the field and we'll see, and the doctors obviously are just making educated guesses. There's no mm-hmm. way they can promise nothing can happen. Um, but philosophically, if I were in the room, I'd be sitting there going, if we think he can be back by week one, let's wait till at least week three or four. If we think he shouldn't be back to week three, let's wait till at least five or six. I would have been arguing for at least a couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh, to be extra safe if I were there. Yeah, we'll find out. Remaining minutes with Joe Banner. I've got to ask you about Le'Veon Bell. I've been vocal on Twitter. I don't get it. I've been an agent. No. I don't see sitting out to like save carries for the future. You and I have run teams. I'm not looking at Le'Veon Bell in 2019 saying, I'm going to pay him a lot more because he didn't play much in 2018. I'm going to say he's a year older. So 885000 a week, I just don't get it. Is there anything you see in this that I'm not that I'm missing? No, no. And the math is, is is simple. That's why you just wonder: is the player just being you know very headstrong or stubborn, or is the agent not walk through the? Uh, he he had a deal offered from the Steelers, which included thirty three million dollars over the first two years of the deal, during which he'd be twenty seven and twenty eight. Now, if he skips the first ten games. He's lost almost $9 million. Right. He'd have to go out and get a deal in the first two years of the deal, paid him $42 million just to break even. And as you say, he's 29 at the end of the first two years instead of 28. And you and I can say categorically, there's zero chance any running back is getting $42 million over the first two years of any no. deal. 
And here we're talking about a player that's held out multiple times and been suspended multiple times. So this, ver- the, the options for him apparently in his mind were take the Steelers deal, which was light on the guarantees, but was actually pretty front-loaded. Right. But that was the best they were going to do. He had a choice, take that deal or do what he's doing. What he's doing makes no sense compared to the take the deal option. Pure math. So I'm with you. I don't get it at all. I think it's a big yeah, mistake. And we're in the middle of week three. I've been wrong both weeks. I, I think he shows up. Uh, I just don't get it. This whole 10-week thing to me is nonsense. I think he'll show up this week, but I've said it the past two weeks. Last couple of minutes, Joe. Quick impressions of weeks one and two in the NFL. What jumps out at you? The obvious things, the Fitzpatrick and the Mahomes. Is there something beyond those headlines that really jumps out these, the opening of the season this year? Well, I'm going to go two things, one positive, one negative. I mean, yeah. it's not that long ago there was a real worry that the uh, league quality of play was going to go down because there weren't enough great quarterbacks coming along to replace the great quarterbacks that were aging. And as you watch some of these young guys that are playing quarterback in the league, and you mentioned Mahomes, but he's, he's one of a group, um, it's really exciting to put that aside and know the quality of the game um, is, is still in good hands as it relates mm-hmm. to by far the most important position in the field. The negative for me is I've been somebody who for years and years has been annoyed by people who over-focus on the officiating. Yeah. And even working for teams, when the coach blames the official, they say, you know what, <laughs> the refs may get 10 things wrong, but the likelihood is they get five wrong for you and five for the other team. And people that have been kind of, oh, the officiating is hurting the game, I've been poo-pooing that for years. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but I'm joining the club. <laughs> I'm, I'm so frustrated by... I worked in the league for 20 years. I've been a fan of the game my whole life. I know the rule book reasonably well. And I sit there. I don't even know what they're calling sometimes, why they're calling it. The rules are changing on very fundamental things. I applaud the intent because most of the changes were around trying to make the game safer. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're achieving the goal and they're lessening the game. So I've... I've recently become a convert to being really, really frustrated with what I see on the officiating front and how it's impacting the play of the game and the joy of watching the game. Well, are you, are you just referring to the quarterback stuff or, or you know, protecting and, and these, the Clay Matthews, these ridiculous penalties uh, uh, hitting the quarterback, or are you more, more generally? Yeah, both. I mean, I, the quarterback is certainly conspicuous, and we just came through a massive impact of I just don't even know how the league is defending the call. But anyway, uh, but I'm also, you know, the lowering the head rule. I mean, it's still happening. They just decided to stop calling it after the first yeah. two preseason games. And, you know, running backs are doing it almost uh, every play. At least there's a group of running backs that do it almost every play. I just, I think they've decided, listen, we don't want to be humiliated by undoing the rule we just put in place, but let's just call it virtually never and only in the most extreme, extreme instance. Because, it's still happening a lot, but suddenly they just stopped calling it. So it's, it's, it's things like that. I mean, the interference calls, you know, that was always a great, tough call. But I feel like there's more and more kind of, wait, they just barely touched each other. How could yeah. you even tell whether that was offense or defense? And there's flags that are creating, you know, 40-yard penalties. It's just, I don't know, maybe and I'm just looking at it more negatively. But I have flipped from somebody that was actually annoyed by the people who were so focused on the officiating <laughs> to actually joining the group. Yes, you are. 
Joe, we got out of time, but this was great as always. You're obviously one of my repeat guests, regular on the Business Sports Podcast. I always love our chats. Thanks for being with me. Well, me too. Thanks very much. Great stuff as always from a regular guest on the Business of Sports Podcast, my good friend Joe Banner, former president of the Eagles and the Browns, got great insights into Josh Gordon and all things NFL. Now I'm going to get to listener questions. Before I do, let's hear a word from LinkedIn Talent Solutions. This is really important. LinkedIn, you don't know not necessarily for job hires, but they are really valuable for that. You can find the person who will help grow your business with LinkedIn because the right hire is so important and makes a huge impact on your business. LinkedIn jobs, they match people to your role based on more of who they are, their skills, interests, even how open they are to new opportunities. Your job gets seen by the right people. You know, listen, I was surprised to see this. Most LinkedIn members haven't visited job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are are open to new opportunities. And you can only reach them through LinkedIn. That's why new hires made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. And businesses rank LinkedIn 40% higher than those regular job boards. So go to linkedin.com slash BOS Business of Sports. LinkedIn.com slash BOS, all caps. You'll get $50 off your first job post just by going there with BOS. LinkedIn.com slash BOS. Terms and conditions do apply. Now it's time for listener questions on the business of sports with Andrew Brand. I'll answer your questions. Send them in. Google Voice number is 484-416-5654. 484-416-5654. I'll answer your questions. Hey, this is Patrick. Thinking of like the Redskins and their, uh, you know, tagging Kirk Cousins multiple years in a row and what that does to their business overall and, you know, the fan base, you see this, you know, the, their first home opener, there are like 50-some thousand people there um, as a lifelong Redskins fan. I'm 30 years old. Uh, you know, I've felt more apathetic about this team than I have ever, and I think it's because of the three years of uncertainty of tags. And, you know, I think it's something that probably negatively impacted the franchise in terms of their fan base. And uh, probably something that hasn't really been seen in the NFL, and I just wonder if other people try to go through it with their players, you know, would that negatively impact their actual overall business? Um, yeah, enjoy your work, so keep, up, keep it up. Thank you. Patrick, it's a great question, and listen, you're speaking to the choir here. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., went to games from an early age as a Redskin fan, all the old RFK Stadium before the one they're now playing in Landover. I'm actually going this weekend to see my old Packers play the Redskins down there. So a huge fan growing up. I lost that fandom along the way. It's interesting with Cousins because what they've done is really made him the most leveraged player in recent memory in sports, in the sport of football, because they gave him these offers before the franchise tags that weren't really offers. They knew. Bruce Allen's a former agent. He knew those were not deals that Kirk Cousins was going to take, and he didn't take them. So they rented him for two years, $44 million, 20 the first year, 24 the second year. Was it a good deal for them? Well, they didn't have to sock in $60 million in guarantees, but probably not because they were just treading water. Kirk Cousins was a player they liked a lot, a player they didn't love. So what they did was make these kind of offers. Maybe we can get him to take it rather than offers that you know they know he would take. I think it set them back because, again, they're playing with lame duck situations at the most important position. Now they've really shown their hand. They let Cousins go. They get Alex Smith. They think they're more advantaged position with Alex Smith than they were with Kirk Cousins. 
you know, I don't know. They had so many empty seats against the Colts. I don't think they'll have a lot of empty seats against the Packers. Such a draw rarely come to Washington. But this is so unique to me. I grew up where you couldn't get near a Redskins game. It was the ticket in town. It galvanized an area that you know now more than ever needs galvanizing. So much polarization, so much division. The Redskins were, and it sounds like they no longer are, at least according to Patrick, the sport, the team, the important thing in sports in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. It's funny, it's sad that that has changed. The Cousins thing didn't help. Uh, Cousins was a lame duck, it seemed like, the whole time. They liked him, they didn't love him. And what was so ironic is they picked Robert Griffin to be the future of the franchise, and then they sort of throwaway pick in the fourth round for Cousins. Cousins became the quarterback, Griffin was moved out. We all know that how that went. So I hope that answers your question, Patrick. I feel your pain. Former Redskin fan grew up diehard, and that has since changed. Let's go to Scott. Hi, Andrew. My name is Scott. Quick question on the NFL scheduling. Do you ever foresee them scheduling games 15 to 20 minutes apart, much like March Madness, where games may start on the East Coast at like 11 a.m., second game 11.20, 11.40, etc.? Um, maybe to increase viewership, engagement, etc. Do you think there could be some profits for teams? Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Scott. I think it's a great question. I think what what we're sort of stuck with, at least now, and I don't know if it's going to change, is kind of your father's or even your grandfather's NFL in terms of scheduling, in terms of the way the games are broadcast. I think that's got to change. I think it has to change. First of all, in terms of the the time of the broadcast, Listen, I'm an older guy, and I still have trouble watching these games because of all the stoppages. It shouldn't take three-plus hours to have an 11 minutes of action product. I think consumers are going to demand that. I think they're going to be shorter games. I think it's going to be more split-screen advertising, less stoppages, less breaks. Somehow they're able to do it with revenues in soccer. I don't know why they can't do it in football, but that's just where we are. You bring up an interesting point about the staggered schedule. To me... I think there's some reason, which I'm really not sure of, why all the games start at the same times, either 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, or the night games. To me, you would have more fan engagement with staggered times. For instance, we're in, when I was in Green Bay, we started our, our early games at 12, where in the East Coast, of course, that would be 1. Why not start at 1 in Green Bay? It would be 2 on the East Coast, so what? And now you have all these fantastic finishes coming at the same time between 4 and 4.15, 4.20. Why not have fantastic finish at 4 and 1 at 5 and 1 at 6 and 3 at 7 and 4? You know, that to me is, seems to be more fan engagement rather than less. Of course, the key to fan engagement now with legalized sports betting is just that. There's going to be more gambling. Who knows what these in-game apps are going to allow for. But that is really something to look at when you talk about what's going on. Uh, so I agree with you. I think it's a great question. I think staggered times make sense. And maybe with these new contracts coming up in 2021, which will include Amazon, which will include Twitter, which will include, at least in the bidding process, Facebook, Google, Yahoo, etc., will have more, I guess, less your father's NFL, a little more modern millennial. And that may include staggered times. Scott, thanks for the question. Feel free to call in, leave your message. I'll answer it on the podcast. 484 484- 416-5654, 484-416-5654. 
Final word from betonline.ag hosting their Sportsnet Challenge, their Picks of the Week, their Lock of the Week. You talk about competition. The winner this week was Rob Sesternino. He picked all five games correctly. He's the host of Rob Has a Podcast, multi-time Survivor contestant. He won it. So join the conversation on Twitter with hashtag Sportsnet Challenge. Listen. Listeners can get behind their favorite talent by betting on them. BetOnline AG has odds on each talent for the season in the Sportsnet Challenge. So go to podcast1sportsnet.com, click bet slash check lines. You'll find all the odds for each talent to win the challenge. Time to put your money where your mouth is. The Sportsnet Challenge is so much fun. You want to get involved, join the betonline.ag pick'em where you could win 25000 Podcast One code, you receive that 50% welcome bonus. Again, College football, NFL football, greatest time of the year. Use promo code PODCAST1, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E. You get that 50% sign-up bonus today. Exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Whether you love college, NFL, it has it all. Once again, use promo code PODCAST1 with betonline.ag. You get your 50% bonus, and you take advantage of this incredible offer. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to the podcast, Apple Podcasts. Give us a good ranking if you will. Stitcher, tune in, RossTucker.com, wherever you hear your podcast. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.